So here we are, our last day together, morning together. And um, I'd like to start with uh, talking a little bit about um, developing uh, our daily life practice as we're all kind of transitioning into our regular days. Um, Daily formal meditation is a major support for continuing to develop the momentum of practice. Um, And uh, it's a little bit like uh, working out, you know, if you go just work out once a month, you know, you don't maintain your strength, right? You need to do it on a regular basis. Um, And in the same way, the concentration part of the practice requires the regular regularity of practice. Um, And on a day-to-day basis, the effect of uh, sitting each day, it helps imbue the rest of our day with mindfulness. It has like a kind of a bleed-through effect. Um, One of the things that uh, my teacher taught me to do was to consider the first uh, 10 minutes after my formal sitting as a continuation of my practice. And, um, you know, and it was usually really uh, great to do because uh, usually after I sit in the morning, that's my quiet time. You know, I'm, you know, might be getting dressed or I'm going for a cup of tea, you know, but it's a very quiet time. I'm alone. And so it's a very easy time to naturally uh, maintain kind of a formal uh, mindfulness practice during that time. Um, <clears throat> my guess is that most. Uh, most of us are regular meditators and meditate every day, usually meditate somewhere between 30 minutes to an hour um, and some more and some less. And if you're still trying to develop the habit of daily meditation practice, you know, and you miss a day and, and it's, it, and you're finding it hard, you, you know, you feel like you don't have the time you might consider um, uh, this study the military did on, on meditation. And um, not that it's the greatest example of, of the uses of meditation, but uh, but they did a good job figuring this out. Um, they wanted to find out the least amount of time it took for the soldiers to develop enough concentration, enough focus uh, that would relieve their stress. And so they'd be more ready for combat, you know, which is not really what where we're at. But um, and it took 12 minutes. And that was the, the really interesting thing. Uh, and that allowed them to maintain it. And for people who, you know, sometimes people, they can't do their full time and so they skip it, you know. So, no, let me do my little 12 minutes and that's good enough. And so a lot of people have been able to really sustain that continuity of practice because they they don't demand perfection of themselves. They don't, they don't set a goal that, um, you know, if they don't achieve it, they just stop. Um, you know, and sometimes we need to be creative, you know, people who have very busy life, lives, sometimes we feel stressed for time. And, um, I know a yogi who really had a hard time establishing his practice and, uh, you know, kids at home and, and, um, you know, just a lot going on. And so he found that he could easily develop a habit at work, uh, in his car. So every day he had a half hour break and he'd go and sit in the car. And, um, you know, it's a very uh, perfect little uh, little uh, space. 
you know, uh, one of the yogis who meets with me and um, he has to meet in his car because uh, he doesn't have reception at home. You know, he's got little Buddha and little pictures there. And so he makes his car this little altar. It's very sweet. Um, and, you know, if you think you're, you don't have the space or the quiet, um, I was really inspired by this um, uh, woman at a, a retreat not too long ago. She lived in a, a retirement home, you know, so didn't have any privacy in her room, anywhere, you know, and she really wanted to do the retreat. And so she uh, found a supply closet. And she actually did um, all of her meditations inside the supply closet. And that's where she was when she would meet with me, you know. And she had a great retreat, you know. And it was just this, um, uh, you know, what might not seem that inspiring for people, but it, but it was great. So we do what supports us. Um, you know, if you're finding it a challenge to create a regular practice, you might give some thought to uh, how to create a support for it. Really give it time, figure out what what could support my practice. Um, you know, on retreat, we have this great structure, right? We have the schedule, we have the talks, we have each other, you know, so we've got a lot of structure, you know, and, and even so more so in a residential retreat when people actually notice if you're not there. Um, so... Um, you know, have a special place, even if it's a little corner of a room, you know, where you do it the same time, same place, and actually use, you know, most most of our conditioning is harmful to us. We can create conditioning that's helpful to us, you know, so use the power of same time, same place. You know, I like to say, you know, you know nobody has to nag you to brush your teeth anymore, right? You kind of do it on your own, all of you. You know, you don't put that in your to-do list, right? Um, you know, in the same way, you know, use that, that power of conditioning. Um, you know, oh, yeah, my body's going to go sit regardless of what I want. Um, another great support is if you can meditate with a friend or with a group. Um, many of you I I know have been on um, Meet with Gil Fronsdale on YouTube on weekdays at 7 a.m. And if you haven't, it's a great time to sit with a, with a sangha. And, you know, Gil gives a little dharmat, and, and it's, a, um, it's a really great support for practice. Um, other people have meditation buddies, you know, and they take different forms, you know. But there, there was one, these two friends that really um, inspired me. They were, um, um, you know, they were both students of mine, and they lived in different states, you know, different time zones. But they figured out when to do it. And they would call each other every single day. And all they would do would be say, hi, I'm going to go sit. Me too. Bye. And that was it. You know, have a good sit, you know. And every single day they would do that. And that was a great support for them. Um, you know, having an altar with objects that inspire us is, is, can be really uh, uh, great, making the space special. Um, you know, Buddha, a flower, a plant, something from nature. Uh, one of my friends loves to have dead things on his altar to remind him of the immediacy of the practice. You know, he'd have bones he found with a dead bird and, and you know, different little things, you know, dead, dead plants, you know, wilted flowers. Um, but that inspired him. 
find out, you know, be creative. What inspires you? You know, reading, Dharma talks, keeping a meditation journal. Some people really find that supportive. Now, those of you with established practices, you know, sometimes you may find over the years that you get complacent. And it can really help to add a brief reflection at the beginning of our sits, something that inspires us. Over the uh, years, um, I've taken different uh, reflections and used them, like, you know, maybe for a year at a time or more. Um, you know, uh, one of the ones that come to mind is I would take time to connect with my dedication to the Eightfold Path. And um, I would, um, you know, say in my mind, you know, I'm dedicate myself to living my life from wise view and take a moment to really connect with my best understanding of wise view and then go on to the next step, wise intention. You know, and connect in my heart with, with all those qualities of wise intention. And, you know, just take a couple of minutes, you know, and um, when I started, you know, turning towards my breath, um, you know, I would have so much more um, enthusiasm. <laughs> and um, so it was great. It's a really great practice. And then uh, at another long stretch, I would begin my first 10 minutes with Metta Towards All Beings. You know, and that was really uh, supportive, you know. So, you know, I allow myself to shift as as I shift. Um, one other thing that I think is, um, you know, related is really taking time, you know, once a year, twice a year to reflect on our deepest intentions. Really, what's it at the heart of what we, you know, where is the center of our lives? What's our deepest intention? And, you know, it's always, of course, some version of being free, you know, but each time that I've done this, it's a different flavor of freedom. It might be that sometimes what comes to the forefront is just kindness. You know, the, um, the Dalai Lama said, kindness is my religion. You know, and, and you know, there is much difference to me than this, this level of kindness and, and non-harming and freedom. It's, it's in some ways, it's the same. Um, you know, compassion, sometimes deep listening. Um, so what's really our deepest intention at this point in our lives? What's sincerely, honestly, what can we connect with? Um, so in developing mindfulness in daily life, uh, again, some of you have just started with, with trying to be mindful in your days. Others of you, you know, have years of practice this way. So I'll, I'll say a little about both. Um, you know, if, if we're just starting, we can begin with the commitment to always be mindful of one activity. Just pick one thing. And my one of my favorites is brushing my teeth. Uh, that's what I started with, you know, because there's like 32 of them, you know. And uh, I would take it, you know, uh, four quarters and one tooth at a time, you know. And I'd feel the brush at the junction of the tooth and the gum. That's right where you're supposed to brush. And just very slowly, very gradually, um, I would do that through my 32 teeth. It took about a couple of minutes. 
And, um, and it's a concentration practice. It's a mindfulness practice. Um, and, um, you know, it helps develop how, how we are mindful during the day. Um, you know, and then I start adding other activities like, um, and everything I picked had to do with water in the beginning because I love warm water, you know, shampooing my hair, you know, because there's a lot to feel there and washing the dishes, you know, that to me with warm hands, warm water and the movement. And it allowed me to enjoy those things in a way that I hadn't enjoyed them before. And, um, you know, and this way, I just started weaving it into my life more. Um, uh, so for those of you who have some mindfulness practice, you might also consider what are the areas where you lose mindfulness the easiest, where you get caught. And for instance, for me, the easiest areas to get caught was on my computer you know, whether I was doing good work, you know, maybe the what I was doing was skillful, um, but still I would just get totally caught, absorbed, unmindful, tense. Uh, my body would hurt from the tension. Um, so for me, that was a big, that was a big one. And um, the other area that for many of us is big is speech. You know, um, you know, I could be mindful all day and then I'd talk to someone and I'd go right back into my habits, my critical habits, my um, all sorts of, um, you know, conflict and things, not listening well. Uh, so those are the areas uh, that are common areas. Uh, even reading a, a good book, uh, I find myself, um, um, you know, getting so engrossed and it's so lost in a book that um, I'd get up when I was done with a stiff neck because I'd been in this rolled up, really awkward position for way too many hours. Um, so how do we work with that? Um, it's not that we're supposed to be continuously mindful of every moment while we're reading a book, you know, or while we're working on the computer. The idea is that we take a relaxed attitude, a dignified posture, and check in periodically. You know, so if we're going to be at the computer, we start with an awareness of how's my body right now? Take a moment and check in. Is my belly relaxed? Is my face relaxed? Is my attitude uh, um, skillful? You know, oh, I'm, I got to get this done. Or, oh, okay, I'm going to do this one thing at a time and, and get it done. You know, there's uh, you can check in that that um, everything's wholesome the moment that we start, and then a little while later check in again and check in again, and um, you know, are we in a dignified posture or at least an ergonomic one? Um, you know, so check in. Um, and then I want to mention a few other things that have been particularly helpful to me. And um, the first one is uh, I like to use the acronym BRO, and I know some of you have heard me say this before, but it stands, think of it like a brother who's always with us to support us. And it stands for breathe, relax, open. And um, this is something we can do throughout the day. And just take a moment right now, just right now, take one deep breath, Relax all your muscles and open to what's next, right? 
you can all kind of feel a slight relaxation response in the body. And it doesn't take much, but we can do that throughout the day. And in particularly, to me, this is like one of the uh, version of this can be used for wise speech. You know, that's an area that, you know, we speak to people that, you know, um, you've probably all had the experience of of being so busy thinking about what you're going to say that you stop listening, you know, um, and many of us have done that, you know. And so take a moment, you know, when we're speaking to someone and just pause, you know, and uh, relax and just open to what's happening. Um, somebody said they used the acronym wait, you know, um, uh, why am I saying this? That's what it stands for. <laughs> uh, why am I speaking is what it is. Why am I speaking? Um, talking. Okay. W-A-I-T. Okay. Why am I talking? Okay. Now I got it right. <laughs> I, you can tell I don't use it. Um, um, and uh, one of the th- th- practices that I took on, and this is after like a um, a really long retreat, um, I really wanted to maintain my continuity of practice. And I made a commitment to be mindful every time I got up from sitting for my next little walk to wherever I went. And what that meant was like, um, for instance, if I'm at my chair, you know, is getting up, connecting with my body, dropping whatever I was thinking about, and walking to the restroom for 10 steps. So just being mindful for those 10 steps, you know, and then uh, that's my commitment, you know, and uh, again, being mindful when I walk to the kitchen for a glass of water. Uh, Every time you get out of the car, you know, I'm walking to the store, you know, might be, you know, a half a block to the store. So um, that regularity of uh, we we get up from sitting so many times. So for me, that was a huge way of of bringing mindfulness into daily life. And because of the walking meditation practice, it was like these little sweet minutes that incorporated walking meditation throughout my day. Um, And that's been a really uh, still a really big part of my daily life. You know, I just kind of automatically now. I get up and the cue is there in my unconscious, you know, to um, disengage from what I was thinking about, concerned about, and just go right to the body. And a couple little little um, things more I'll say. Um, some years back, I used to manage over a thousand emails a day, uh, over over a hundred emails a day, and uh, I get really dour, you know, and um, and fatigued. And um, so I started smiling as I wrote an email. And same thing with texts. And so that um, no matter who's at the other end, even if it was a difficult email, I would take a moment, I've taken a moment to smile. And it makes a really big difference how I would feel at the end of my days. Fortunately, I don't have that many anymore. Um, And the last thing I want to say is... um, is transforming waiting into a mindfulness practice. All those moments in our lives of waiting on hold, being in gridlock, waiting in line, so much time to practice. Um, 
Yeah, so really, you know, it's a wonderful thing to take to heart. Uh, a while back, you know, I apologized to a friend of mine, a fellow practitioner, because I had kept her waiting quite a while. And she said to me, I'm a meditator. Meditators don't wait. So, which I appreciated hearing that back. <laughs> uh, so thank you all. And I'm going to pass it on to Shelley. Thanks, Inez. That was great. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, about integrating um, your retreat into uh, into your life. You know how to how we do that in a gentle way, and really everything that uh, everything that Inez spoke about is really a form of integration as well. Um, but there are kind of special things that are nice to do when we first come out of retreat. So the first thing is, of course, to be really gentle with yourself. Really be gentle with yourself. You know, you've spent this time and you've become more sensitive, even though you might not notice it. You know, sometimes it just feels normal. I feel like I always do. But after the period of several days of practicing like we've been doing, there's much more sensitive sensitivity to uh, what comes into our lives from out, outside. So be gentle with yourself. Give yourself as much time as you can to, to get back into daily activities. We often say that the formal days of retreat are only the half, the first half of the retreat. And then we have an equal uh, number of days that are the second half of the retreat. So if you have the opportunity to give yourself that time to gradually get back to the level of busyness that you that you had before, or maybe not the level of busyness that you had before. That's that's great. And the mindfulness that we've cultivated during this period can really help us to, you know, to integrate uh, in a more uh, a kind of more gentle and more um, harm, harmonious way. If we just jump into old ways of relating to our chores and our jobs and our relationships, we can lose sight of what we uh, what we learned on retreat. So, so try to move at the speed of mindfulness, and that doesn't have to be really slowly. It just it's just the speed at which you can stay connected to what you're doing. And if you notice a tendency to hurry, just check in, see how is this affecting me now? What does it feel like to hurry? What's the state of mind that goes along with it? You know, we don't we don't practice on the cushion just to get better at practicing formal meditation. I always like to point that out because some people seem to have that kind of delusion about practice. Um, the Dharma it transforms our whole lives, and that's that's what it's for, you know. And I think one of the most valuable things about these online retreats is that they they offer us the opportunity to integrate our daily activities into retreat in a way that that shows us how the dharma can permeate um, permeate all the things that we do in our lives. Just just the things like the things that Inez was mentioning. All the ways we bring it in, and then it spreads through through our activities. <clears throat> so, a couple of things, a couple of kind of really uh, specific pieces of advice is don't pick up the news right away. You know, won't hurt to remain in the dark about what's happening in the world for a little bit longer 
And uh, if you've been on a news fast, uh, you know, during the retreat, and when you do pick up the news, you know, notice the effect. Notice the effect. Remember wise attention, avoiding turning the mind towards those things that you know are going to cause greed or aversion or delusion to arise. And if you know you have a strong tendency to get angry um, or to read comments of anonymous people and want to, you know, kind of fight back or something, just don't go there. You know, don't read them. If you use online shopping as a kind of distraction from your life, just don't go there, you know. Use your use your discernment. Maintain, you know, the focus on the present moment experience. Just don't go looking for opportunities for greed and aversion to, to show up. Uh, and take it take it slowly with uh with emails too, if you can, you know, just responding to what's urgent and only writing down what's uh, what's necessary. Some of you are going to be returning to work mode right away, I'm sure, and you might not have the ability to do that. But and if that's the case, you know, just really pay attention to the effect of of reading and writing them on your inner state, and then you know maybe do what uh, Inez suggested. You know, make have a smile. You know, when you before you write one, a smile after you read one, just cultivating that uh, that a more kind of wholesome attitude towards what we're doing. Even though this was a, a short retreat, relatively short, you know, taking the time to gradually get back into any activities that uh, that we haven't been doing in these past few days is really useful. And sometimes, you know, people expect after a retreat that their 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 meditation is going to be just as deep as it was when they were sitting all day long and, you know, walking and sitting and walking and sitting. But the conditions of life just don't, they just don't support that happening. So it's not a mistake for the mind to wander more, for there to be more thinking, for it to be working faster in a way. You know, that's it doesn't mean your retreat was a, a failure. You haven't lost anything. And uh, that's the nature of life. You know, everything that we engage in changes us. And the retreat has changed us. And we can keep that change going by gradually uh, coming back into our uh, into our daily life activities in a way that, that supports that ongoing Mindfulness, ongoing uh, sense of ease. It's good to look for ease. I have a few more things to say, but I think I'll. I think we need to move on now because we're we're going to end it. Uh, I think Inez has a couple things to add, and uh, and then we have managers' um, announcements. But the one thing I really want to. Um, emphasizes that you please be kind to yourselves you know it's so important it's so important just find a way to remind yourself in the busyness of daily life to slow down connect with the present rebalance your energy you know whatever ways are useful to you whatever oh, many of the ways that you know i think this this is being recorded because those are great suggestions <laughs> so many ways of maintaining that connection to our inner life that uh, it keeps us you know keeps us steady
So thanks, and uh, I'll turn it back over to Inessa. Thank you, Shelley. Um, and I'm sorry I crowded your time. <laughs> um, the so I wanted to start just say a little something about um, you know quote from the Buddha uh, from the uh, Itipitaka. Um, if beings knew, as I know, the results of giving and sharing, they would not eat without having given nor would the stain of selfishness overcome their minds. Even if it were the last bite, their last mouthful, they would not eat without having shared if there was someone to receive their gift. Yeah, I think mean, that's so beautiful, you know. And um, it just delights my heart when I just reflect on the many ways that IMC and IRC are rooted in that generosity from the Buddha from 2,000 years ago, from the fruits of, of uh, the seeds he planted. As most of you know, IMC and IRC is run by many, many volunteers. I've, I've lost track of how many. You know, I used to keep track of somewhere around 150, but there's more now, you know, as, as we've grown. And yes, no paid staff. Everything we offer, we offer freely from our hearts, supported by the generosity of uh, all of you who participate, all of you who volunteer, all of you who give IRC and IMC financial support. All of it's done through this wonderful generosity of heart. When um, COVID began and we all had to shelter in place, who knew? Who knew that the generosity of your sangha would make this uh, reality of online retreats possible? I mean, you know, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, um, Gil said, you know, that his whole vision um, of virus C was just guided by the idea that the practice unfolds best in a field of generosity, gratitude, and goodwill. And, um, you know, it's something that I delight with, delight on every time I teach and or every time I'm a student in a retreat, a yogi on a retreat. So, um, so thank you. And I'll pass it on to Deanna or very generous AM manager. I think she's doing the morning and the first announcements. Yes. Great. Thanks, Inez. And friends, thank you um, on behalf of the whole retreat support team. It's been a pleasure to support this retreat and your practice. And here are a few announcements to help ease your transition, in addition to all of the pearls from Inez and Shelley. Um, so a few minutes after our closing circle finishes, which is the next piece, you're welcome to stay for social time with one another. And this is a nice time to exchange contact information with other yogis, uh, if you're interested in that. And our dear Allison manager will be hosting that. So you'll just stay right here after the closing circle to participate. Um, IRC was founded, as Inez explained, and continues to thrive because of the generosity of our volunteers, teachers, and donors. We appreciate all donations. See the green box on the IRO website to donate today or use the regular IRC website donation page.
And finally, next on the schedule is meditation space cleaning. And then we'll meet back here for our closing circle at 1030 Pacific. I think (laughs) the time zones always catch me up because I'm Eastern. Yes, 1030 Pacific it is. So we'll see you all again right here in about 15 minutes. And thank you all very much for your practice.